Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Jay Samet. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Henry. Looking forward to this conversation. A lot of, uh, a lot of thoughts went into the preparation for it, but uh, let's start by, you know, a quote from Jay's TED Talk, quote, whatever whether rather, whether by choice or circumstance, every career gets disrupted, end quote. And the same applies to us as business owners. And obviously, we've just gone through a major disruption. Everything is continuously transforming. And as entrepreneurs, we have to embrace and prepare for that continuous change and an era, as Jay explains, of endless innovation. In his latest books, Future Proof Ourselves, uh, we will talk, Jay talks about future-proofing ourselves so that we can capitalize on the opportunities that that creates. If you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including links to the show notes page or to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700. So let me give you a short bio for Jay. I could go on for a long time about everything that he's done. But Jay, Jay Samet is an entrepreneur and international best-selling author who is widely recognized as one of the world's leading experts on disruption and innovation. He was described by Wired Magazine as having the coolest job in the industry as he raises hundreds of millions of dollars for startups, advises Fortune 500 firms, transforms entire industries, revamps government institutions, and for three decades continues to be at the forefront of global trends. He has been the former independent vice chairman of Deloitte Consulting. Samet helped grow pre-IPO companies such as LinkedIn. He's been a NASDAQ company CEO, held senior management roles at EMI, Sony, and Universal Studios, pioneered breakthrough advancements in mobile, e-commerce, digital distribution, and spatial reality that are used by billions of consumers every day. Samet's previous book, Disrupt You, Master Personal Transformation, Seize Opportunity, and Thrive in the Era of Endless Innovation, is currently published in 12 different languages around the world. He has also written for such publications as Fortune, Harvard Business Review, and the Wall Street Journal, and his latest books, which were, or latest book rather, which we're going to focus on in this conversation is Future Proofing You, 12 Truths for Creating Opportunity, maximizing wealth, and controlling your destiny in an uncertain world. Jay lives in the Los Angeles, California area. So once again, Jay Samet, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And thanks for making the time. Absolutely. And uh, that's a long bio, longer than I usually do, but you've done so much, Jay. Your career spans literally decades, and it's just fascinating. Uh, as I'm having course. fun. I, and that's the key, isn't it? That's one of the keys in life, isn't it? Absolutely. Did you, did you become a, a business owner, an entrepreneur right out of college, or did you ever work for anybody else? Um, yes. I, well, I worked prior to going to college, but out of college, I came out uh, and there were no jobs. It was a recession. So I had to figure it out and started my first business with $1. And, you know, one day you wake up and dozens of friends become self-made billionaires. That's what the <laughs> B. And you go, we didn't go to the right schools. We're not smarter than everybody. We, we don't have the right connections. How do you see, what are we doing with the same 24 hours a day different? And how can you teach it? And with a new self-made billionaire happening every 48 hours, it is teachable. 
it's and so that's what I'm dedicating the rest of my life to do is to show people how to do it. When you first got out of university, though, was it was it that clear to you? Um, no, I wanted to get a job of Star Wars had come out and I wanted to make Hollywood special effects. Uh, a couple problems. I knew nothing about special effects. I <laughs> knew nothing about computers and I knew nobody in Hollywood. Other than that, I had a plan. Um, so I knew nobody would hire me or if I started a company. So I made business cards for a dollar. Didn't make myself head of the company because who's going to believe a 21-year-old's head of a company? Went out and hustled some effects work on some small movies that nobody ever heard of. And then I hired the people that knew how to do it. You only need two things to succeed in life, insight and perseverance. Everything else can be hired. Where did you get that from? Was that modeled for you? Did it, do you think you were just born with it? Um, my superpower, and one of the things I talk about in Future Proofing You is everybody has a superpower and nurture it. Mine is I'm dyslexic. So I never thought linearly. Well, Richard Branson's dyslexic. Walt Disney was dyslexic. One out of three CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are dyslexic. So it turns out, you know, it's a superpower, but everybody has something that gives them an edge and you should lean into that as opposed to mask it. And is part of the edge that it gave you that when doing the research, you learned early on to kind of take that leadership role and delegate the parts that you, you knew you weren't going to be good at. Was that part right. of what yeah. you kind of learned the hard way, I guess? Yeah. As a kid, you don't want to be labeled the dummy and, and be made fun of. So when there were group projects, I'd volunteer to lead them and then delegate that which I can't do. I've been in tech 40 some years. I'm not an engineer. Steve Jobs built the first trillion dollar company in the history of the world. And he's written as much code as you have, Henry. Mm -hmm. Right? None. Yeah. So you don't need to have these special skill sets. You don't say, God, I better be a mechanic before I drive a car. I better learn how to be a pilot to fly in a plane. No, you use these tools that are out there. Because in fact, being an entrepreneur is, is just that. You're leveraging other resources, uh, other people's talents or skills or superpowers, right? Really, really, all that you're doing, most people think entrepreneurs sell things. No, they solve things. Solve a problem for a few people, you're popular. Solve for a million, you're rich. Solve for a billion, you change the world. So if you have problems in your life, you're halfway there. Come, odds are other people have the same problems and pretty much every thing that's made somebody wealthy was solving a problem. But going back to this, the sales part of it, don't I need to, and don't most successful entrepreneurs need to be able to sell that idea though? Well, the thing that you really need to sell is yourself and your belief in yourself. So I wrote the first book, Disrupt You, really to teach people to change that voice in their head, the voice that said that they can't or they're not good enough or they're not smart enough and break it down of how to overcome that. Um, but it's not sales in the traditional sense. It's, you're gonna to have to be a Pied Piper. You're gonna to have to be passionate about what you're doing to get others to follow you and work for you, to get customers to come, to get investors. All of it comes down to that core belief. And if, you, if you're working towards a purpose, and I believe the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose, then it all falls into place. I'm not saying it's easy, but as we'll get into, you know, I took a kid from welfare and mentored him one day a week from welfare to self-made millionaire in under a year. Anyone can achieve this. Yeah. And that's the story of this new book, Future Proofing You. So I know you've touched on it already, but in your mind, who, who did you write this for and who is it for? So um, 
when I wrote Disrupt You, the unexpected joy of writing that book was I heard from people all over the world. I kept track for the longest time. I heard from people in 140 countries. Wow. This year comes out in Urdu, Icelandic, Polish. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And these same principles were transforming people's lives. But occasionally I'd get this email, usually from a millennial, hmm. that said, this is motivational, but I could never do this. And this ate at me. Why can Jay Samet not reach this person? What am I, what am I missing? So I decided to put my reputation on the line and take somebody that everybody could relate to and say, at least I'm starting at equal or better footing. So he had no support network, had no friends, had no family in the area. I didn't give him any money. I didn't give him any intros or contacts and I didn't tell him what to do. So he had to start a business that took zero money. And in the first month he made $70,000 almost and he could have flown around the world without a plane. He was so positive, so on fire. And, you know, it wasn't easy. He worked harder. He didn't go to movies, didn't watch TV, didn't, didn't goof off for a whole year. But he worked harder than most were willing to so that now he can live the rest of his life the way most aren't able to. Yeah. I'm, I'm and curious. he's future proof. Yeah. Why, why do you think millennials in particular struggle with this? My, my suspicion in part has to be that they have for a lot of good reasons, developed this uh, cynicism of uh, the, the constructs that, that we lived through. But, but why is it in your observation that this particular group struggles? So I, I don't paint it in, in those terms. I have two sons that are, are millennials and, and successful. Uh, what I paint it as is let's look at the world that they entered, right? We all talk about that, that great generation that came back from World War II, where the average price of a home was two years salary which meant only one parent had to work, the house was paid off, you retired to a pension and you lived happily ever after. Today's wages have been frozen since 1982. Young people have a trillion dollars in credit card debt, a trillion dollars of student debt. We manufacture twice as much in the US as we did in 1984, but with one third the employees. And over the next decade, half the jobs disappear. So what they were taught in school does not prepare them for the world that they're getting. I see. And you talk a lot about this in the book and elsewhere. And, and this, so it rings so clear to me. I've talked about this before. Our system still, our education system, and even at the university level for the most part, is about indoctrinating an employee. Oh, or, or, or you know, a soldier. I mean, the True. IQ test. The IQ test was designed to know who's worth training and who's cannon fodder, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But let me take a basic thing back from third grade math that, that I talk about in Future Proofing You because it sets people on the wrong path. Here's how people learn business in elementary school. If Jay buys a banana for $1 and I sell it to Henry for $2, I make a dollar, okay? That sounds like the way the world works. Nothing could be further than the truth. Because in that example, the only way I get money is if I take it from you, Henry. It's a zero-sum game, which means, oh, if somebody else gets a raise, oh, I'm not getting that money. If an immigrant comes and gets a job, he's taking my job. This country's taking my job. Robots, every, it becomes this maddening fight for existence. And for the bottom 140 million people in America that are fighting over 1%, that's all that they own, 1% of the country, that's what it feels like. Now, let me give you the example of how 
the people that are making success look at math. Hey, Henry, I'm starting a new company. I sell you 10% for $10,000. Now, what do I have? I have 10,000 in cash and 90,000 in equity. I can buy things with that. I can hire people with that. That is how you create wealth. It doesn't come from the Federal Reserve. You make it out of thin air. That's how Jeff Bezos could lose money year after year after year after year with Amazon and come out the backside as the richest man in the world. So completely different way of looking at the business model of, of a business or, or really how to become wealthy. Correct. Wealthy doesn't happen. The old fashioned way was the Warren Buffett way. Great man, not taking anything away from him. He's got $80 billion, but he made 99% of that after he was 50. Now, Kylie Jenner, on the other hand, became a billionaire at 22. I don't know about you, but there, I could have a lot more fun with money in my 20s than I oh, could yeah. in my 50s. <laughs> and you can say, well, Kylie came from the Kardashian family. Yeah. How many billionaires were in that family? Zero. So what did she do different? What do so many people now do different that there are 40 million millionaires and a new billionaire minted every other day? Well, they look at the world differently. And I've broken down what I mentored this young man on into 12 truths. You follow these truths and you will have success. I'm not selling anything. There's no upsell. I'm not doing this to make money. I got money. I'm doing this because I want there to be a bigger middle class. I got it. And so I want to go back to the two things you said that are the keys to success as an entrepreneur. Um, you need to have some insight and, and some perseverance or that drive, that, that desire. The insight, talk to me a little bit more about that because that, that I could read that as, do I have vision? Do I, can no. I foresee the future? What, what do you mean by insight? So I insight can be taught. So I, I have a, a technique that I, I use. And when I teach this, I, I teach how to build a high-tech startup at the university level. Uh, first semester I taught it, two kids did 150 million and dropped out of the university, which didn't make the university happy. <laughs> but I said, I'm sure they'll endow the campus with money. Um, they, the technique I call is three problems a day for 30 days. Write down today, Henry, three problems in your life. It's pretty easy. Uh, traffic, you know, whatever it might be. But after two or three days, it gets really hard. Why? Because we live our lives on autopilot, accepting that's the way things are. Unless you notice the moment by the moment annoyances, you don't look for the solutions. Meanwhile, huge companies have made all this technology, all this network, all this 5G, all these phones that we're carrying, and you could leverage that to solve these little problems. That's what all these app-based businesses were. Sure. So that's how you get the insight. Okay, so that's a, that's a technique that will help me with this, this big challenge always of, I don't know what, what to do, what idea by right. doing this practice, three problems a day for 30 days, the 30 days is, is critical because it'll, I'll get past the easy or obvious ones and forces right. me to really observe and, and develop that insight. That so fair? at the, at the end of the month, you have 90 ideas and you're yeah. going to sort them across two axes. One is what's called TAM total addressable market. Like, does it affect a whole bunch of people or a few people? Mm -hmm. Every time I teach this at the university, there's always some students says, I'm going to make a business that delivers food to the dorms. Wow, it takes the same amount of effort to start a business that has a potential of 100 people as customers mm -hmm. as it does to launch WhatsApp. So which do you want to do? Um, the other axis is what are you passionate about? 
you're going to have failing. You're going to make mistakes. It's going to take work. So you want to really believe in the why. And you're going to find, and this is what I learned from mentoring, because you learn so much as a mentor, you don't just teach, that today's young people do feel that if they're going to work hard, they want it to make a difference. They want to work at companies that stand for something, that have some purpose of making the world better. Uh, I have a whole chapter in Future Proofing on uh, sustainable capitalism and a huge opportunities for people to, to jump into that. So both of these can be refined. Anyone can do it. And I've seen it again and again and again. Yeah. Great stuff. These, these two traits, as I might call them, of insight and uh, that perseverance, you, you believe then that if we're not born with these things, I can learn these things. If you were born with them, amazing. Good for you. But here's the thing. I can point to a ton of people with high IQs that aren't successful. Turns out, according to the studies, then I mentioned them in Future Proofing You, having a higher IQ doesn't lead to lasting wealth. Having a college degree doesn't make you wealthy. Okay? So all of these things are obviously things that you have to learn how to do. And one of the big oversights in my first book, which I really focused in on is the seventh truth in this book is don't fly solo. Mm. You're going to need a series of mentors. Why wouldn't you want help? You know, Sir Isaac Newton was considered the greatest scientist of all time, but he humbly said it's because he was standing on the shoulders of giants. There are tons of people and I teach you how to find them and get them on LinkedIn and other sources that want to help you. Again, if we're not that dog eat dog competing over that same dollar and we can each help each other to create wealth, why wouldn't people want to help? Right. I find a couple of things that happen there. First is our ego gets in the way. And the other thing you, you also address, uh, I think in the book, that we're afraid of, oh, somebody's going to steal my idea. And you you debunk that pretty quickly, don't you? Oh, yeah. That, that, if, if people realized how hard it is to start a business, you could shout your brilliant idea in the middle of Times Square every day for a year and there wouldn't have any competition. Yeah. Um, now, there will come a point once you prove it, once you're in business, that the first person you educate in business is your competition because they were asleep and go, wait a second, there's somebody new in our market. Why didn't we think of that? Right. I was brought in number three of Sony worldwide when Sony maker of the Walkman was asleep and Steve came up with the uh, iTunes and the iPod and Sony's looking like we're screwed, right? Because they were asleep. Yeah. That should but have been here, their market. It's such an incredible business uh, case study. But it was painful to live, let me tell you. I can imagine. But here's the only competitive advantage any business has in the 21st century. I don't care if you're a restaurant making shoes or running a multinational. Last company I was head of, we did 45 billion a year. Okay. The only competitive advantage you have is getting insights from your data faster than others. I see. And insights are all around us and we're drowning in data, but we're not looking at what we're learning. Okay. But, but then again, it, it, this goes back, I think, to getting help because if I'm not yet skilled or maybe I don't have the skill on interpreting what that data is telling me, I can get help to do so. Yeah. And, and I'm not coming here on the wrong side of 50 saying I'm a genius. I knew everything. Okay. I was a moron. My first company, we're making video games. I had some hits, they were doing great. And I didn't have any board or anybody telling me what to do. 
because I was in my 20s, I was arrogant. I said, if somebody knew as much as me, they would have made this company. But I may have known the most about video games for that one moment in history, but I didn't know about mergers and acquisitions. I didn't know about growth. I didn't know about scaling. I didn't know about most of business. So much so that another company came to me real early on and said, we want to buy your company and we'll give you 30% of our company in exchange. And I'm like, I don't understand stock. I don't want stock. You know, this makes no sense. So that company is called Activision. And it's worth about $18 billion today. Mm-hmm. When you make those kinds of mistakes, you learn from them. <laughs> so when you make mistakes where you fail, you don't end up where you started. You either earn or you learn. So I've made countless mistakes. I write these books to maybe save a person one, two, three, ten of these mistakes so they can learn to make their own. You're going to make mistakes. That's how you learn. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to share a special offer from our new show sponsor, GoSite. I have a question for you. Is your business engaging with customers online? You know your customers expect a seamless and easy digital experience, especially during the pandemic, but how can you actually make it happen? You're already working hard from sunup to sundown on your business. You don't have the time to build a website, manage online reviews, and get set up to accept online bookings and payments. But it's not impossible. With GoSite, you can move your entire operation online easily with everything you need to run your business in one place. GoSite provides an all-in-one online platform that makes it easier for your customers to find, book, and pay for your services. Just take Liz as an example. Her landscaping business gained over $260,000 in online sales from new customers in their local area and used GoSite to make it easier for their existing customers to pay and book their services online. Check out the all-in-one platform from GoSite that makes it easier for your customers to find, book, and pay for your services online instantly. Best of all, you don't need any technical experience to get started. Go to gosite.com forward slash podcast to get started for free. That's gosite.com slash podcast to get started today for free. Let's talk about that for a moment. That's one of the 12, um, one of the 12 truths uh, is that failure is great. And while I believe that and buy in, nonetheless, I think we're certainly wired, maybe we're indoctrinated to avoid failure at all costs. So I guess my first question related to that is how, maybe in the book, or how do you help people begin to embrace that failure is part of the process and necessary? So let me address it with another topic that's related to it that I talk about, which is fear. And the first thing, because it comes before you get to failing, you have to overcome the fear to even start. People are afraid of losing money. People are afraid of giving up their job. People are afraid of being embarrassed. People are afraid of so many things that they're immobilized by these fears. And what bugs the living daylights out of me is all these these hucksters that tell you fear isn't real. Biologically, the most primitive part of our brain, the center part, the lizard brain, Before you can think of anything rational or debate anything, it looks at that other person and says, are they trying to kill me, eat me? Do I have to fight or do I run, right? Fear is real. The only reason you're here, Henry, is because your great, 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 great grandfather 
when he saw that saber-toothed tiger, he ran, okay? If he didn't, you wouldn't be here. So you're not going to overcome fear. Now, if you were worried about your business and losing your job and you're crossing the street and an 18-wheel truck with no brakes is barreling towards you, are you thinking about the office? No. No. A new fear, a more powerful fear overtook your thoughts. Make sense? Yes. So here's what I sit down with most people. You're worried about losing money. You're worried about losing your job. Okay. You don't want to try this thing. You hate your job. They pay you just enough not to quit, but not enough to care. And it's not taking you to the lifestyle you want. So you traded a day, a week, a year, 10 years. You traded your whole life doing something you didn't want to do. Now you've given up your life. Go talk to senior citizens and they'll tell you their biggest regret isn't what they did, but what they didn't try. So unless you want to give away your life, that's what you should be afraid of. Every day it's slipping through your fingers. None of us know how long we have. And if you really want to live a life of purpose, what are you waiting for? Now you have a new fear that's more important. Like, I don't care what they think. Let them make fun. I mean, I'll never forget one of my best buddies when I launched my first company at 21. He came from some money and I went to him as an investor and he passed on it. And years later, when it's a huge success and sells for a bunch of, bunch of money, he comes to me and says, Jay, you know, it always bugged me that you never gave me the opportunity to invest in your company. <laughs> he didn't even remember me asking because it was so right? insignificant because yeah. nobody understood what it was until it's a success. So here's a word to the wise. You'll never meet a hater that's doing better than you are. Hmm. So just go ahead, live your life. Other people had the choice to give up on their dreams, to live their lives. Don't carry that burden. Yeah. Yeah, that, that perfectly aligns with what I think in part is it that we are afraid of when we're first taking that leap to start our first business. And I think a lot of it, Jay, is the, the fear of the embarrassment of failure. And it ties to what you talk about in the book as well, that I think I, I, in my experience, people around you who are not sick, more successful than you, as you put it, they're not business owners. They don't want you to go and take this, this chance because it, because then it undermines why they don't take the chance. You, am I making sense? A hundred percent. And let's look at these icons that we look up. Bill Gates and Paul Allen, first company, fail. Walt Disney's first company, fail. Henry Ford's first company failed. I can go on and on and on. And even the companies that you like are actually failures to pivot. The, the story that gets the most laughs when I give this at, at, at universities around the world is before you could swipe left or right to get laid, you had <laughs> online dating, okay? And back then it was still pictures and you read the bios and then you decided where you were gonna meet. And so three guys said, wait a second, with broadband, we could put video up there. People talk about themselves. We're going to make a fortune. It was called tune in hookup. Guaranteed was going to make money. Guaranteed. They were counting their billions in their mind. The site goes up. The first dating video is this guy standing in front of the elephant at the zoo describing why you should go out with it. Such a sexy scene. <laughs> I want to date guys in front of elephants at the zoos, thought every woman. No. So the site bombed. It was a complete failure. Nobody wanted to date these losers. But as I was saying earlier, look at the data that you learn. And what did they learn from that failure of tune-in hookup? 
Nobody wanted to date these people, but they sure wanted to show their friends these ridiculous videos. So they changed the name of TuneIn Hookup to YouTube and became billionaires without a penny in revenue their first year. Amazing. And so I, I think that that ties back to the, the failure is great. I think, in my opinion, is an experience is tied to the whole adage of fail fast. In other words, we and have often. a tendency, and often, right? We have a tendency to create the perfect product. And you, you explained it brilliantly as you got started, right? You didn't even have uh, the ability to deliver what you had already sold. Yeah. And, and I've done this again and again, where I thought something was so thought out. And in my first book, uh, Disrupt You, I talk about what I call the zombie idea. Most business ideas, I don't even have to hear your idea. I've judged enough uh, competitions. I've invested in hundreds of startups. Your idea sucks. And you haven't even told it to me. Not what you would expect to hear from Mr. Motivation, right? Because no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You haven't gone far enough into working on it to discover the real insight yet. Right. So really, you start off with a half an idea. And the more you can get naysayers and potential customers to tell you why it sucks, the more you can refine it and hone it and carve out of that stone, that perfect sculpture of what's going to be successful. And that it's by going deeper than anybody else took the time to, that's where you find the diamonds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, you know, that approaches might be called the MVP approach, uh, what have you. Do you believe that I can apply that approach to a traditional brick and mortar type business? hundred percent. I'll give you a great example. Restaurants, the number one failing business. Okay. Most often that fail. Right. During this pandemic, restaurants were closed. How or why would you possibly launch a new restaurant? Sounds insane, right? Yep. But there's a new thing that also happened during this time, which are called ghost kitchens. Instead of that delivery person going to McDonald's, picking it up and bringing it to you, then drive to Pizza Hut and then bring it to somebody else. Drive. Ghost kitchens are places where consumers don't go that make all the food from all the different restaurants at one location. Okay. They're in all the major cities now. They save these delivery services tons of time. Well, some entrepreneurs looked at that and took the next level. Why don't we launch virtual restaurant brands that we can test now without paying for a lease, buying furniture, hiring people, and literally try new concepts? And dozens of these brands have taken off. Some have spread throughout the whole country. And as the pandemic ends, those same Virtual brands will now open brick and mortar locations because they know where their customers are, what their desires are. They already have an app-based relationship with them. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that's such a brilliant example of what you talk about, that, that adaption of that endless innovation. They, they saw the opportunity there and now have completely reinvented the restaurant business and to an extent. So they use technology, yep. they use data. You know, one of the, my truths in the book is every single business is a tech startup. I don't care what you're doing. You have to look at it from that framework. And as proof of that, play a little game with me, Henry. We're going to take you back 10 years, give you a million dollars to buy the most successful tech stock and make all the money and you get to keep it. So what was the most successful tech stock if you could go back Ooh, 10, 10 years. years ago oh god i don't know apple must have been in there maybe microsoft no uh, microsoft not apple not uh, facebook not me, google so how not do you Twitter. meaning that they were successful then or that if i would have bought it now i would have had the most success now or... yeah you would have had the most success now is what no, I'm no, no, no. i don't know it's a it, it's a trick question 
Because if I said every company is a tech company, the company that you should have bought was Domino's Pizza. 10 years ago, they went app-centric. The majority of their employees work in IT. Now they have a direct relationship with customers. They know changing tastes and styles. Their business exploded because they went from a data-centric. Making, making pizza is easy. All the other parts of the business are what differentiates whether you're going to make money or not. So how, for someone who's never done it, how do I begin to use data in this way? Uh, is that part of getting that help so that I bring in either partner or bring in someone or hire someone that does have that expertise? No, this isn't some scientist in a white lab code doing data analytics. Everybody uses data, okay? Which pair of shoes do I buy? This one that's half off or this one that's 10% off. Do, 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 do. Okay, data is a way of saying getting information. So here's another example of restaurants, okay? A guy wanted to open a restaurant. Most people go, oh, I got this great fried chicken recipe. No, that's not why you open a restaurant. And he looked at why restaurants fail. Number one reason they fail, too many menu items. Nobody orders the, the fish sticks this week, you lose your profits, right? So he said, I'm going to open a restaurant with only three items on the menu. Next reason restaurants fail is it turns out most of us like to eat at the same time. So if a busy lunch or busy dinner, only two people sit down at a table that could have sat four people or six people, you can't monetize those chairs. You're losing money. So the second rule was you're going to have to sit with strangers. Now, if those are, and, and since he's only going to seat full tables, you'll wait at the bar and make the high-priced alcohol while you're waiting to be seated. So now that he's solved for the problems, now he has to figure out what kind of crazy restaurant would people put up with those rules? And for the past 60 years, Benihana's has been killing it because they only give you three choices. You sit down with other people. So he didn't sit out and say, I want to make a Japanese, you know, teppiyaki house. He said, how can I overcome the problems with this type of business? So do that with your business. Why do others in your, in your sector fail? What are their blind spots? How can you make those problems go away before you spend dollar one? Because those problems are going to exist whether you focus on them now or later. And it's much better to do it before you start spending your little bit of capital. Right. Okay, going back to the, the data and the tools, I know one of the things you talk about is that there's all these latest free software tools. Yep. So part of that, it, it could be as simple as, you know, the tool I use for a loyalty program or my CRM system or, and that's what we're talking about here as far as that leveraging that data that helps me get closer to the customer and why they decide to buy from me. Is that fair? Correct. And there's one other set of tools that's new. And this really, a lot of companies took advantage of this. I didn't even realize I was doing it most of my career because I didn't label it. But the pandemic suddenly showed us that most jobs can be done from home, okay? Well, what does that mean to you as a small business person? That means that you no longer have to hire the best people that you can find within 10 miles of you. You can hire the best people on the planet. They may be super skilled and willing to work for a much lower wage than, than people that have to live in a big city or a first world country. And it is amazing how you can now have a virtual company where you're hiring the best people as you need them from wherever they may be. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly powerful. I mean, it just really has 
proven for us yet again that this that that we can do that and that not the technology is there to support that work environment or business and the big companies have now done enough studies we've had a year of this under our belt yeah here's the interesting facts 40 percent greater productivity from people to work from home than those that come to the office i'll get to why in a second number two they cost the employer less less turnover because they like that freedom of balance of lifestyle one of the things i learned from millennials that makes a lot of sense is I was from the generation that when you get 65, you then retire and see the world. That's why those cruise ships have all those old people on them. <laughs> kind of lame to wait to experience this amazing world when you're on the way out. When you could have a virtual job, and I have friends that do this, this month they'll do it from Thailand. Next month they'll do it with running the bulls in Spain. You know, They can travel anywhere they want and do their job remotely. So people appreciate that. Millennials are willing to take a work at home job over a job that pays off their student loans. That's how much they like the preference. Mm-hmm. That flexibility, that freedom of location is yeah. huge. And it also brings in a new type of worker, somebody that might have to care for an elderly right. parent or a young child or has disabilities that make commuting hard. Right. Now let's talk about for the worker. On average in the U.S., the commute is 81 minutes out of your day. If you live in L.A. where I do, you wish for an 81-minute commute, okay? Which means you're miserable by the time you get to the office. Then after a hard day when you're tired, you're miserable by the time you go home to your family, which makes you a miserable, you know, spouse, parent, you know, whatever. But now working at home, that three hours that you suddenly found could be three hours of more quality time, of doing things together, of not being rushed. I mean, that work-life balance suddenly brings a sweetness that you'll never want to give up. So I was talking about this with my, one of my business partners earlier today, that what I, what I do have a question about is whether we are going to have some drop in productivity because of the, the lack of conducive work environments at home, the distractions, all of those things. But I think if I'm hearing you right, there, all of these other things that you've just articulated offset that and then some, is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go back to, you know, sometimes you get lucky on trends. So when I started my first company, I didn't have money for rent for anything. So I didn't have anything, but I had what, what motivated me where, where I gave my, my passion to not give up was I had two sons when I was very young. So when the phone would ring, my kids knew during the day that there was a game, whoever stayed quiet the longest got a prize mm. <laughs> because you can't have kids making sounds when They think they're calling a big business. And as I got bigger and bigger multinational clients, I made sure I always focused on clients that weren't based in the same city I was. um, So they never wanted to visit because I didn't, I didn't have an office for years. Uh, But nowadays, if, if nationwide insurance can move 98% of their employees to permanently work from home after just a 30 day adjustment, what does this also mean to cities? We don't need to be densely around each other. We don't need to pay exorbitant rents or or property prices uh, to be close to that hub. We can now live where we want to live in in more conducive environments. So it's really going to restructure society as a whole and in a positive sense. I'm I'm betting also on a component than that. One of the businesses that I'm a minority partner is, is a franchise of a co-working and executive suites space, but in a suburban setting, not in a business center. 
Because what I think might happen, and I'm obviously definitely curious as to your thoughts, is that while all of those things are true, there might still be people that need that ability to go somewhere to work for all kinds of different reasons, but close to home. Oh, I, so I'll give you a little, little insight. So when I was independent vice chairman of Deloitte, again, quarter million uh, executives all over the world, almost true, none of that quarter million people have an office. Right. All the Deloitte offices are basically high rent we works for Deloitte people. Yeah, you do the it's hoteling our, thing, right? You go in and you and you pick your place. Yep. Hotel, Deloitte had the genius to figure out that we need to get together and we need to get together with clients and do things. Deloitte actually owns its own hotel in Texas. It is a magnificent resort that has everything you could could think of, including Starbucks and, and bars and everything. It, it's only missing one thing. There's not a cash register in the place. Hmm. Everything's free. So, so you can revisit these things and, and that's what I like. So you saw a new opportunity, you saw data, you saw that things were changing. You saw other people were, were needing this. That was a problem and you acted on that as a solution. Hmm. Because That's I think all I'm that, talking about. Yeah, and because I think what are your thoughts that the people still what they will miss is the community component. What are your thoughts on that? So, do you have any friends on thing called social media? Right. Of course. So, yeah. we we've all figured out how to have meaningful, deep relationships with people that we don't get to touch. Okay, because this past year we didn't get to touch anybody. Right. Okay, and. There are tools, and in one of the chapters, I list 22 free tools to help you manage do. Like one of the ways that I would manage, I, I'm from the, I walk the floors of, of you know, all my employees just to get a vibe of are people happy, you know, what, what's bothering, and you lose that in this yeah, world. Well, there are right. virtual ways to do that, and there's some great tools, including feedback so that you can hear anonymously from everybody that you suck as a boss and, you know, here's this problem. Uh, so there are new ways to, to adapt. And, and here's the secret right now. All these tech companies spent billions and billions of dollars to put out all this infrastructure just waiting for you to go. Think of how much of your life is dependent on your smartphone, your iPhone, your Android. You couldn't live without it. But 10 years ago, when it came out, think of the apps that you could get. One of the top 10 apps was the Fart app, <laughs> which is really saying no one could figure out Robinhood or OpenTable or the countless other billion dollar businesses. Well, in Future Proofing You, I have a whole chapter on a new boy that's coming that is a trillion dollar opportunity that no one's ahead of you on. It's as if I was telling you the iPhone's coming out next Christmas, do you want a piece of that future app world? And no one else woke up to it. And so the opportunities are there and they're massive because the market is massive. You can reach 7 billion people. Great stuff. Okay. So we've touched on some of the 12 truths. The last one I want to touch on, and then we'll start to wrap it up, is the first one that you articulate in the book, which is you must have a growth mindset. I thought I'd want to talk a little bit about that because I see that as so critical and it ties back to, you know, the points we were discussing about the indoctrination and how we're, how we're, you know, indoctrinated to become employees or soldiers, as you said, 
Talk to me about what you mean by the growth mindset. So if you have this positive mindset, you're open to possibilities and you're perceived as happier and you will be happier and that allows you to be more successful. As much as we want to forget about it sometime, we are just biological meat puppets. I mean, we have a physiology that controls us. So when I wake up each morning and I look in the mirror, I say two things. Today can be better than yesterday and I have the power to make it so. And as trite as you may think those things are, those release dopamine from my brain, which lights up my neurotransmitters and puts me in a positive state. Just like music can put you in a positive state right. or seeing a beautiful person across the room. So when you're in that positive state, you're open to making things happen. When you walk around in a funk, oh, I hate traffic, I hate, you wouldn't see a million dollar opportunity if it slapped you across the face. So with Vin, and this was actually kind of fun, I didn't let Vin, that's the young man that I mentored, I didn't let him read the book till it was typeset because I didn't want him to make me let, change something, which was in our first meeting, I lied to Vin. I don't like lying, but I needed to get him in a growth mindset as quickly as possible if he was going to achieve a million dollars in a year. And there's a psychological uh, tool called the Pygmalion effect, uh, Professor gave tests to every kid in an elementary school at the beginning of the year, told the teacher, these three students were gonna be super achievers, super learners. And at the end of the year, when they tested all the kids, guess what? Those three kids excelled. Wow. Funny thing is the professor lied. He didn't look at the first test. He picked three names at random. But if you tell the kids the special and you tell the teacher they're special, they turn out special. So I told Ben, though he was the only candidate that I ever interviewed, that I had interviewed hundreds of people, and he was the only one that had all the attributes to be a millionaire. And him hearing a successful person believe in him, he went along with that belief. When in fact, to make the, the future-proofing you experiment fair, I didn't want to cherry pick the best person. I didn't want to say, I'm going to teach somebody golf. Uh, you young man, Tiger Woods? Yeah, I'll, I'll. <laughs> no. I just wanted the first person. And, and so I let him feel the sense. Now, did he really deeply believe me? You'll find out, no. He found out that he had nothing else going for him, though he thought I was full of it. He'd play along, because what else does he have to lose? Yeah, he wrote about it in a journal, or right? Yeah, yeah, he kept notes, and he, at six months in, when he'd made about $600,000, he handed me <laughs> the note to tell me what he really thought of me at first, which was great. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, but, right. uh, um, you know, Vin really, his superpower that he really figured out was back to our conversation of data. We have a natural instinct when somebody tells us how to do something to rebel and want to do it a different way, or we, we have this opinion or that. So if I would say something, if I couldn't back it up with the fact as to why I'm saying it, i.e. it's just an opinion, don't listen. If I have a fact and you don't have a fact for your position, accept it. And his willingness to be open to that one change is why he's a millionaire today. Interesting. And today, you know, he's got Fortune 500 clients. He works when he wants to and where he wants to. He's in Europe right now. And he knows he can stop at any time and start at any time because he is truly future-proof. He has the tools to succeed in this world. Great stuff, Jay. Thanks for sharing that. All right, the book that we've been talking about that uh, Jay Samet has written, this latest book is, again, Future Proofing You, 12 Truths for Creating Opportunity, Maximizing Wealth, 
and controlling your destiny in an uncertain world. Jay, I, I know you're, you're a big reader. Is there, is there another book you've read, you're reading now or read recently that you would recommend? Um, there's a book, it won't be out till next year. I just read it uh, to, to do a blurb for it called Billion. Um, the, the crazy story you will ever read in business about uh, a guy who decided to leverage drug dealers to sell a legal product as a form of global distribution. And First got time to book for this person? Yeah, got to a billion dollars in sales. It's really his life story and it's already been optioned for a movie, but it's, it's a fascinating story. But one other thing I did want to say, to get the most out of my books, I have free workbooks on my website and they'll be in the show notes, jaysamit.com, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T. And just click on it, you download them and it'll give you the exercises to maximize what you're learning, to walk you step-by-step through the process of getting on your journey to success. Yeah, I appreciate it. Those are great resources. I downloaded those as I was preparing and uh, we'll have a link to that. Like you said, Jay, in the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. All right, we'll wrap it up, Jay. What, if there was one thing you want us to take away from this conversation, what is it? Well, it's a quote from Henry Ford. If you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. So much of it comes down to our mindset then, huh? Absolutely. Everything is, is mindset. Our, our world is, is an artificial thing that we constructed in our mind. There is no yesterday. Whoever you were when you, when you went to sleep, the next day you can be whoever you want. And we happen to, to live, uh, for most of us, in, in a free world to an extent where we can uh, realize that we can become who we want to become for the most part. So why wouldn't you want to live the life that you dream of if you now know it's possible? Yeah, agreed. All right, tell, tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. Uh, you can get the, the book at Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, my website is jsamet.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, anywhere else uh, that you want to reach out. Jay, fascinating conversation. Thanks for time for thanks so much for taking the time and indulging all of my questions. I appreciate it. Thanks, Henry, and thanks everybody for listening. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Jay Samet. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.